Amen. What a blessing. Amen. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Psalm 84 is where we're going to be this morning as we uh, skip through and, and hop along this series that we have in the book of Psalms. And so uh, Psalm 84 is where we are as we look at wisdom and worship. Over the last several weeks, we've looked at this wisdom literature that we have in Scripture, and we're drawing things out of it that show us what worship really is. Last week, we talked about how worship is not just a personal experience, but it's, it's a worship that is missional. And then today, as we get into Psalm 84, you're going to see how that is now the blessing of worship is corporate, and how we gather together in the house of the Lord and how we worship together. Psalm 84. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you. And feel free to take that with you if you need it today. I'll be reading from the ESV. So here we go. To the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is a blessing that we have today of being gathered together in worship. That we could bless your holy name and we bless it because of the things that you've done and the things you've done for your glory and they've been on our behalf. We are hopeless and we are helpless without you. So, Father, today we worship you through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your indwelling spirit. And we do so in a way that we ask, God, that you would use for the furthering of your kingdom so that all may know how great and glorious you are. In Christ's name, amen. Psalm 84. There's three blessings that you see here in these verses. And when we think about blessing, we often uh, will we'll see pictures that are posted on the internet, and it's, you know, the hashtag blessed. I don't even know if hashtag's a thing anymore. Uh, I'm getting so old. So, you know, it's like blessed is this, and, and we'll take pictures and we'll say, oh, this vacation picture, blessed, or I'm with my family, blessed, or this promotion, blessed, or whatever it is, this, this thing I just got, this new car, blessed. We write all these things down that I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. And I'm not going to negate the fact that there is, there is blessings that God allows us to have, but that is not the biblical definition of blessing. And as we get into blessing, as we look at it in, in, as it correlates to worship and as it relates to wisdom in our life, we have to take a whole biblical understanding of this blessing. And when Jesus talks about blessing in Luke chapter 6, 20 through 22, he says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you 
who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. The idea of blessing here is the idea that even if we're poor, even if we're hungry, even if we're weeping, even if we've been reviled and we've been made an outcast and our name's been spurred because of who Jesus Christ is and our relationship with him, we're blessed. Let me ask you, are you blessed today? The idea of blessing, as Ligon Duncan puts it, is this. The idea of being blessed is the idea of the one who has found the fullest joy, the deepest satisfaction, the truest purpose of life. The person who is blessed knows and lives life's true purpose. He knows that man is made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Oh, to be blessed is to know that you have a purpose in life and it's to glorify God and to live it out in whatever way it might be, whether poor or hungry or reviled. The blessed life is one that knows its purpose is to glorify God and worship God. Oh, the blessing of worship. As Paul would say in Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Do you see all the blessings over and over and over, these spiritual blessings, not, not necessarily possessions and things that we're experiencing, but these spiritual blessings, verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oh, what a blessing it is to worship the Lord for what he has done. What a blessing it is to realize the spiritual blessings that have been bestowed upon us, that he has done all of these things in Christ Jesus, our Lord, so that we get to benefit from those blessings. A couple of things here before we jump into the psalm. Bless people, bless. They glorify God. Be bless people, bless. Be blessed, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Are you blessed today? Oh, if you know Christ and his presence in your life, you are beyond blessed. Blessed be God. Blessed be the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessing God and worshiping God, I want you to understand this, is expressed in our delight in God's presence and by our dependence upon God's presence. There is a delight that takes place as we gather in worship, and there is a dependence that is constantly there, that we are longing for God more and more in our life. There is a spiritual blessing that we cannot even fathom, that it's his presence among us, and it's our dependence upon him to do what we cannot do for ourselves. Worship is expressed in delight and dependence. 
So blessed people, blessed. They glorify God. Blessed people are blessed communally and corporately, not just individually and separately. Now I want you to see all of these words that I have underlined here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. As you read through this, you cannot miss that this is corporate language that this is communal, this is not just individual, that as we are blessed by God, we're not just blessed individually and separately, we're blessed communally. We're blessed as a body of believers, that he has done this to us and we, and we all experience this, and we bless his holy name, gathered together as the body of Christ. Blessed people are not the ones who find pleasure in possessions, but the, who find pleasure in knowing God's purpose for their life. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Oh, there is a purpose in your life, and through Jesus Christ you have been brought in to the family of God, that you would experience the spiritual blessings that are upon blessing, upon blessing, upon blessing of knowing his presence in your life, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. Oh, we are blessed today. And I say all of this because as we get into Psalm 84, you're going to see three blessings in verse 4, verse 5, and verse 12. And blessing God, worshiping God, is expressed by our delight in God's presence and by our dependence upon God's presence in our life. The blessing of being in God's sanctuary. There's a blessing of being in God's strength, and there's a blessing in being God's safety. So number one the blessing of being in God's sanctuary. How lovely is your dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Today we have gathered together and we have sung songs of praise and our, our mouths and our hearts are singing because of our delight in his presence and our dependence upon his presence with us. We are singing corporately because we and us have been brought into a family, so naturally we bless God back because we have received every spiritual blessing. And so as we look at this, we think about the dwelling place. Well, where does God dwell, and how lovely is the place that God dwells? Well, in order for us to do that, we're going to have to kind of do a really quick walkthrough all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And so it began all the way back in Genesis, right, where Adam and Eve were walking in the garden. Guess who was walking with them? God was walking with them in the garden, and he was with them. And his presence was there among them, and then sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, they were kicked out of the garden, but God was not done wanting his presence to be with his people. No, he allowed them to grow into a great nation, the people of Israel. And when he brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, he says, I'm bringing you out because I will be your God and you will be my people. Exodus 15, 1 through 2 and 17 through 18. After crossing the Red Sea, this is what we see happens. Then Moses 
And the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its, his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Do you see the corporate worship that is taking place? They are singing, the Lord of my salvation. Does that sound familiar? Today, corporately, the body here gathered saying, the Lord is my salvation. He has brought me out of the land of slavery and he has taken upon himself the guilt of my sins so that I could have life and have it everlasting. And he says this, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord wants to be dwelling with his people. And as they formulate the tabernacle, this is exactly what happens in an Exodus 29, 45 says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. God wants to dwell with his people as time goes on. He then moves from the tabernacle to the temple. And oh, how lovely it is to be in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 26, 8. Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see how worship and the presence of God go hand in hand. How lovely is your dwelling place. As time went on, the temple was then destroyed and then rebuilt. And as we get into the pages of the New Testament, we see that his presence doesn't dwell in temples made by hands. No, God's presence is going to dwell among his people in flesh, in his son, Jesus Christ. John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt there is actually the word that can be translated tabernacled. Oh, the presence of God now dwells among his people in the flesh. And the perfect life of Jesus Christ would be lived out so that we could once again be brought back into a right relationship with the Father so that they could be joined back together. We could be joined back together, brought in, adopted in. Oh, what blessing it is, the spiritual blessings of being in the house of the Lord. As Paul says in Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and of earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now, where is the dwelling place of the Lord that is so glorious? As we read in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So we've seen the dwelling place of God move from tabernacle to temple 
to Jesus. And as Jesus then ascends, he's like, wait on the Spirit. And wait on the Spirit because the Spirit is going to now indwell you. And the presence of God is now going to dwell with his people. As he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see how from the Old Testament to the New, God is bringing his dwelling place to be with the people as he's always wanted. And that there is worship that takes place because we are delighting in the presence of God. The presence of God that is now with us. So where's the dwelling place? Where is it? Wherever God's people gather to worship the living God, you are God's house. Wherever, wherever the people gather, you are God's house. Now, this is a building, and we often call this room a sanctuary, but this is brick and mortar and beams and concrete. This is a building, but as the people gather, as the spirit that indwells us joins together with others, we are being built into, look, look at it right here in Ephesians. We're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 21 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. How lovely is your dwelling place? You want to know what's so lovely about the gathered body of believers? As we gather together in worship because we are delighting in his presence, we're gathered together as the body being built together, as the house of God being built together, and we do that as we gather in worship together. And we do that delighting, but also dependent upon his spirit. Because apart from his spirit, we would, we would simply be a people who are lost, who are wandering. Even the sparrow finds a home, verse 3, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Oh, I want you to understand you have a home in the house of the Lord. In the gathering of the church, there is a place for each and every one of us. Even the sparrow. The sparrow, this bird, gets a bad rap. It's thought, as, thought of as being worthless. Even in Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? I mean, it's not even worth a penny. You got to put two of them together to even make one penny. It's not really worth anything. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Oh, that there in a real sense are many people who are longing to be in the dwelling place of the Lord who feel worthless, who feel that they don't belong, who feel that no one cares about them. They feel lowly. They feel like they're common. They feel alienated and left out. Well, there's a place. There's a place in the house of the Lord for those. And the swallow, 
that fast-moving bird that never stops moving, that drives everyone crazy when it's laying its nest. You know what I'm talking about? You just can't stand it. It's busy, busy, busy. It's restless. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Oh, in a real sense, there are many people who go every day back and forth, back and forth, busy, busy, busy with all the cares of this world who are worn out, who are frustrated, who are unfulfilled. They may not feel worthless, but they feel overworked. Guess what? There's a place in the house of the Lord for you. There's a place in the house of the Lord for believers. There's a place for you today because believers find a blessing when they dwell in the gathering of believers. If you are a believer, then it is my prayer that you would find the blessing that God gives as we gather together in worship. The blessing of being in God's strength, number two. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Worshiping God is expressed in our delight in God's presence and by our dependence upon God's presence. If we ever come to the point where we're not convicted or convinced that we are dependent upon Christ, then we will not delight in worshiping him. If you ever get to a point where you think, you know, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, don't, really, I don't really struggle here. I'm, I'm living a good life. I, I've, I've kind of put away some things that I, I used to struggle with, but I don't really have those struggles anymore. When we begin to think that we can do things in our own strength, we will not delight in worshiping God because we have forgotten the fact that we are utterly dependent upon him for everything. We're dependent on him for our salvation. We're dependent upon him for grace and mercy to get through each and every day. We are dependent upon God. And as we gather together in worship, we delight in his presence because we are together as the body of believers, but we also express our utter dependence upon him. We need you, O Lord. We are weak and we are weary without you. We are hopeless and we are lost without your presence in our life your spirit in our heart. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 are some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I remember being at a time in my spiritual walk where I was very weak and I was worn out and I was beaten down by sin. And I remember reading these verses. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. One of the great lies that we buy into is that when we are weary and when we are exhausted and when we are in sin, that we don't need to be in the house of the Lord. And that is the complete opposite of what this says. When we are weary and when we are exhausted and when we fall into sin, where do we need to go? We need to run to the house of the Lord 
to be in his presence, to delight in his presence, but also to be dependent upon his presence. I need your strength now more than ever. And it's when we realize that we are hopeless and we are helplessly lost, we worship. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So worship, the blessing of worship. It's an opportunity for those who are weak and weary, those who are mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually tired and exhausted to call upon the Lord for his grace and his strength. Let me ask you, have you come here today weak and weary? Have you come here today maybe physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally exhausted? There's a home for you here in the house of the Lord. And there's a way for you to be renewed by throwing yourself at the altar, telling him how dependent you are upon his presence in your life. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now, we don't know. Commentators wrestle with this. They don't know if it's really referring to the literal highway to the temple where you would go to worship or if it's talking about the heart and the heart's direction, direct path towards worshiping God. But that would be the goal, wouldn't it? The goal would be that as we gather together with other believers that our hearts would be so enamored with the presence of God and our delight in him and our, our recognition of the dependence we have upon him that our hearts would be like a highway to God in worship. And that would be the goal. But as Jeremiah the prophet says, the heart is deceitful above all and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In fact is our, our life, we'll put our lives on the, on the interstate or the highway towards worship and and it doesn't take very long for us to see the exit signs of things that might be a little more, you know, appealing. Well, let me just pull off here for a minute. Oh, well, let me just, let me get sidetracked for just a second. I'll get right back on, I promise. And before too long, our lives have taken a detour off the highway towards worship, and we are pursuing things that will not satisfy us. Oh, that our hearts would be a highway to Zion. Verse 6. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The word Baca here is a Hebrew word which refers to a balsam tree. A balsam tree is the type of tree that was found in very barren landscapes, desert-like landscapes, dry areas. And the balsam tree would weep sap and resin. It, it almost looked like the tree was crying. And so when they talk about the valley of Baca, they are referring to a valley of weeping. A period of time where you're dry. Have you ever been spiritually dry? Have you ever felt like, I, I want to worship, I just, I just can't seem to get motivated? I, I, I'm just, I'm worn out. Dry sin has entered in my life, and he's saying they go through the valley of Baca. They go through an area on their way to the temple that is weary and dry, and it's full of tears. And as I read this, I was reminded of the story in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 48. There's a story of a, of a woman who's sinful. She's well known in the city of being sinful, 
And she hears that Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. And when she hears about this, her heart is a highway to worship. She makes a direct line, a beeline towards Christ, and she falls at his feet, and she worships. Let me read this to you. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his, his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, now just the imagery here, he's turning towards the woman and he's still talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. The reason the Valley of Baca and this story connect is because this woman, she weeps before the presence of the Lord. She's weeping so much in the dry spiritual part of her life that she has got enough, um, enough of a puddle to wipe the Lord's feet and she does not cease to kiss his feet, to love on him, to be in his presence, delighting in his presence, and also dependent upon his presence. Because apart from him, there is no forgiveness for her sin. And she loves him much. And in return, she has loved much. Oftentimes, we need to come to the Lord through weeping to find worship. O oh Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O oh God of Jacob. The fastest highway to the presence of God is a heart of tear-filled repentance. Sometimes if we're in a dry land, the quickest way back to the presence of the Lord is through repentance. In fact, a heart of worship must first be a heart of repentance. That we would humble ourselves before him. That we would lay ourselves at his feet because he has forgiven us so much. The blessing of being in God's Safety, number three. Behold, our shield. O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Oh, to trust in the safety of his saving work on our behalf. Oh, to trust in his work on our behalf. That is safety. That is a shield. That is a sun. That is the thing that we put ourselves in. And we hope only in what he's done on our behalf. You know, there's a verse here where he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Have you ever said, uh, maybe sitting at the beach or on vacation, man, there's no other place I'd rather be than right here. You ever said that? Maybe, maybe you said it, uh, you're sitting on your couch and you're watching your kids play and the whole family's there. And maybe it's, maybe it's just you're so full of that moment. Oh, man, there's no other place I'd rather be than right here. You ever said that about work? Yeah, no, no, no one really says that about work. But the sons of Korah do. It begins, this whole psalm begins with, to the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Well, who are the sons of Korah? The sons of Korah were the doorkeepers and the custodians of the tabernacle. These guys are singing a song of worship. Man, it is better to be in your house than a thousand places elsewhere. Yeah, I clean toilets. Yeah, and it's great. I'd rather be there than anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper than be anywhere else. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Is this true? Only we sang it. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. We sang it. We, we declared it in worship. And there's no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord with brothers and sisters in Christ who have been filled with his spirit so that we can worship together, so that we can be built into a holy temple, that we can be joined together by the cornerstone Jesus Christ, that we can be built upon the prophets and the apostles and the teachings of God's word so that we could grow more and more and more into the image of Christ. Man, what worship that is. I'd, I'd rather be there than a thousand places. H.C. Leopold said this, it may seem to be a strong statement to describe those who are disinclined to worship the Lord as being guilty of wickedness, but that's where the root of all wickedness lies, shunning fellowship with God. I've, I've walked through this entire psalm with the purpose of displaying the dwelling place of God. Where is the dwelling place of God? Do we ever shun the fellowship? Do we ever shun the dwelling place? The place where God wants to grow us and make us more into his very image so we can worship together. I take away two things from the sons of Korah. Number one, time spent at God's house with God's people and God's presence is far better and more valuable than time spent elsewhere. That's hard. That's hard for us to, to believe sometimes. And number two, you can't dwell in the house of the Lord and also dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
I mean, look at the description of those two places. One of those places is, is temporary, and the other one is permanent. And when my kids were little, they always wanted to go camping in the backyard. And they would, they would want to set up the tent in the backyard, and, and as someone who was older than them, who loved my bed, I did not enjoy it. I'd rather be in the house than in the tent. Am I right? Yeah, if you're, a, if you're a parent, you're like, amen, like, amen to that. But how often do we allow sin to move us into a temporary tent rather than dwell in the house of the Lord? Oh, I'd rather be in your house than dwell in the tents with wickedness. And it's usually those temporary things. Well, it's just for a short period of time. I'm not going to make this a habit. I mean, it's not like this is my lifestyle. But I, I just want to do this for a minute. The temporary sins are the ones we tend to tolerate. And we tolerate them way too long. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow, a nest for her where she can, make, where she can lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O oh Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is the sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let me ask you, do you trust in him today? Have you come to a point in your life where you've put your full trust in him or are you still dwelling in tents of wickedness? Oh, it's far better to dwell in the house of the Lord with those who worship with a heart that is a highway design. Can we bow our heads? Can we worship? Gracious Lord, we come to you. We thank you for the beautiful picture that you long to dwell with your people. And you've done a miraculous thing through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can now be filled with your spirit, that we can join together as a body of believers that are being built together into a holy temple, that we could worship you, that we could be delighting in your presence that is among us, and we can be dependent upon your presence so that we can live a life that is upright and holy. Father, today, if there's someone who feels like they need to go through the valley of Baca, of weeping, Lord, that you would give them the strength and the courage and the humility to do so, that they would bow before your feet, that they would worship at your feet today. We thank you for your presence, and we're dependent upon you in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?